So all of these feelings manifested in my body and it was so lonely. So anybody going through any of those experiences, the searching of the purpose, the leveling up, it is a, this cracking open of your soul and your spirit connecting to something bigger. And I mean, it is uncomfortable and it is lonely and it can be scary, but it is so beautiful. It is so beautiful and it is so aligning. And it's just that feeling when it clicks, it's just calm and it's love. It is beautiful and it's so scary, but it's so worth it. Hello, thank you so much for tuning into the Active Ingredient Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am a deeply curious person who truly loves all things personal growth. The goal of this podcast is to discuss topics via guest interviews and solo episodes that will help us to uncover our own light, or what I like to call our active ingredient, that will ultimately lead us to living our truest, most authentic expression on this earth. And remember, we all have the ingredient within us. All we need to do is activate it. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Active Ingredient. I am back from a week-long trip with my family to Tenerife or Tenerife. And it was so nice. I feel like my, my cup is filled. I hadn't seen my family in a few years, so it was really nice to all be together. And I'm also really excited to be back and get back into it. And yeah, a little running update while I was there. I did two runs. I was supposed to do three um, for that week. I did a six mile and a three mile, but the terrains in Tenerife are really, really hilly. So after that three mile run, I decided I was not gonna tap into the next six mile run because my knees and my calves were killing me. So I was just listening to my body and decided to not, but I landed on Saturday, did a seven mile run in New York, which was the longest or the furthest I have ever run, which is crazy. But after having done hills in Tenerife and then doing flat terrain in New York, seven miles was honestly so easy, (laughs) Um, which is crazy. I honestly just can't believe it considering where I came from, which was like the most I had ever run before training for this was two miles or three miles was what like my norm was. Anyway, um, just wanted to give a little quick update on the running journey or the half marathon journey. Uh, This week, I have a two mile, I believe, six miles and another seven mile. I can't remember, something like that. Anyway, this week's episode is incredible and it is with Ashley Ray, who is the founder and CEO of Mala Collective. It's a company that works with artisans in Asia to create products supporting a mindfulness and meditation practice, like meditation cushions, mala beads, and crystal kits. And she's also a meditation coach that helps her clients connect to their purpose, potential, and their highest Self. On this episode, we get into all things meditation, of course, what to expect from meditation, the benefits, and her best advice for those looking to start. We get into Ashley's trajectory from being an award-winning journalist covering murder trials to starting Mala and what the journey has taught her. And we get into the practice of tapping into your intuition and the importance of trusting yourself. And for this episode, we're doing a really fun giveaway. All you have to do to enter is follow Active Ingredient on Instagram, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and send a screenshot of your review via DM to the Active Ingredient account. We'll have all the instructions in the show notes and also on the Instagram post to accompany this episode. 
So I really loved this interview. I hope that it inspires you. It definitely inspired me to deepen my own meditation practice. So with all that, welcome Ashley to the show. All right, Ashley, thank you so much for coming into the studio and talking to me about your whole journey on Active Ingredient. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful. So I'm curious to hear, like right off the bat, what were you like as a kid that you remember? I feel like your (laughs) career trajectory after seeing like everything has been, you know, a little all over the place. So I'm curious what little Ashley was like. Oh my goodness. I was... Uh, very curious. And I was, you know, when you got on the report card, she's a social butterfly, but that just means like not paying attention. That's That's just the loving way to say it. (laughs) Like my mom is listening to this and she's like, that's literally what was on my report card too. So (laughs) I mean, I was, I was curious. I think all kids ask why, but I think that that curiosity has stuck with me my whole life. And I don't know, playful. My goodness, we, we didn't have phones. I don't think I had a phone till I was in grade 12. So like, my childhood was pretty outdoorsy, lots of playing, lots of playfulness and curiosity. Do you find that the qualities that you remember of that childlike self are kind of embedded in your personality now? Oh, yeah, I think so. I've done some really beautiful meditations where I've gone back to visit little me and I've met – this is getting really woo-woo really quickly. No, go for it. Go for it. Uh, going back to meet little me and then meeting future me and then speaking to present day me. So I think that it's so it's so powerful to do those meditations to look back on little you and say, I love you. You're doing so great. Everything's going to be okay. So when I think back on little me, you know, there's that playful, joyful version and then there's that meditative experience. And I mean, also I have a pretty darn bad memory. So I have selective memory, I think, and we block out the things that we don't want to remember. And yeah, I I think there's a lot of beauty in reflecting on on little self. I want to get more into that, actually, even though you're going off the bat woo-woo, like I'm down to go on this journey with you. So um, I've actually done some of that meditation too. I have been in therapy for like a year and a half now. So a lot of it is going back to, you know, talking to little you. And I honestly have a theory that we're all just like recovering children. And I I see like people, you know, like adults having like throwing tantrums or whatever. And I'm like, we're literally all just kids, you know? So I do, you know, I, I try to be discerning with people on this podcast and bring people on that I genuinely feel have found their way back to this childlike self. Mm. Um, so I'm curious if you can give us like a little bit more insight into what this like guided meditation talking to your inner child does for you and like what that process is. Oh, wow. So it was a San Pedro ceremony, which is kind of like ayahuasca. And I mean, I was really nervous to do it. I don't, I don't like being out of control and those situations put you in a place of surrendering. And in meditation, you know, you can open your eyes if you get really uncomfortable. You can get up and like just leave right. the meditation if you want. But these ceremonies, you're in it. And I think it was like eight hours. And it was like five years of therapy. And I, I know I had heard this so many times. And I'm sure everyone listening knows someone that knows someone that's done some sort of ayahuasca or some sort of journey. And I'm not saying it's for everyone. I think I did it five or six years ago. And maybe I'll be called to do it one day in the future. But I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm good to go now. It was really powerful. It was, 
you know, this visualization of going back to younger self, as much as I remember that playfulness and that joy, there's still pain and there's still heartbreak. And there's these things that we don't understand as children. So going back and talking to younger me, when I knew what my family was going through, when, when I knew there was moments that were really difficult and I said, I love you. You're doing so great. You're so beautiful. You're so smart. You've got this. And just this encouragement, you know, there's that quote of like, be the person that your younger self needed. And it was really beautiful to be able to speak to my younger self and reassure her. And then when it went, when it flipped forward to my future self, she said that to me and it was so powerful. Um, and then I spoke to my present day self and this voice said, why don't you speak to yourself like that right now? So I could offer that love to younger me and I could have that older version of me offer that love to present me we're so hard on ourselves. And I, I truly believe that's one of the blocks of meditation is that we're so judgmental. We're so hard on ourselves that if we start speaking to ourselves, like we spoke to our younger self, or if we start speaking to ourselves, how we speak to our best friend, the world would be so much more compassionate and kind and loving. So I think that that journey was a really big lesson on self-talk. And a lesson on, I'm actually doing okay. You know, in hindsight, we look back like, oh, it was fine. And in this present moment, we're fine. As hard as it is, as hard as something can feel, we're going to make it through. So there was a lot of deep lessons there and also very uncomfortable, like deeply uncomfortable. So like while you're on the ayahuasca, it's uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. I was like, I'm fine. I don't need any more. And the shaman's like, Ashley, the fact that you can say you're fine, I don't need any more because it's a control thing. It's a releasing of control. And um, I was also in a very safe space with people that I knew. And, you know, I'm really grateful I did it. But I, I think that, you know, what people say is that if you're meant to do it, it'll find you. And it really happened very serendipitously. And I'm a huge believer in serendipity and I feel like one of my superpowers is serendipity. So I think, you know, I wouldn't say it's for everyone. I wouldn't say, hey, everybody, if you want to heal your inner child, go do this because it's, you know, it's not for everybody, but it is a beautiful version. Or, I mean, you can do therapy, you can do meditation, you can do somatic healing, you can do movement. There's so many avenues to heal that version of ourselves within ourselves. Um, this is just one of them and I'm grateful I did it. That's so powerful about the future self talking to you. I feel like that's not something that I've ever even like thought of myself. Like I, it's always kind of like in retrospect or like thinking of, you know, your early childhood, but thinking of yourself as the child now yeah. and the older self that's so valuable for you moving forward. I feel like yeah. that's setting your life up for a completely different trajectory if you're able to catch it now. Oh, know? totally. And I think my future me is so cool. And yeah, that was so what does she cool. look like? Oh my gosh, she's beautiful. <laughs> I got to meet my future child, like all these... I, I've always had really, really visual meditations. And when I was little, I had to go do inkblot tests because I'd have such crazy dreams. And I mean, that makes me sound a little bit bananas, but I've always had really visual uh, meditations. I don't always share that, not because I'm ashamed of it, but because I don't want people to think that they're wrong for not having visual meditations. But when I do have visions, they often come true, uh, which is, I mean, we're getting real woo-woo here. Go for it. Uh, but in that meditation, uh, another meditation I did outside of this where I met future me, I was in India and someone, I can't even tell you a story, someone was um, bringing me grapes and I was out in this uh, gazebo and there was vines everywhere and my partner was wearing a blue t-shirt and he was in the field. And I came out of that meditation. I was like, I have to go to India right away. And so I called everyone I knew. <laughs> it's 
like, how can I get to India? And I found out that this business, this local businessman in Vancouver had a connection to India. And I asked him for a meeting and I'd never met him before. He was quite prominent. And I was like, Hey, oh, I had this meditation. And uh, in the future, I live in India. He's like, this is why you called me to meet you. <laughs> and long story short, I end up in India like six months later out on this farm on the border of Pakistan at this family's house. I had no idea. It's a longer story how I got there. And I'm in this gazebo with all these vines around me. And there's these mosaic tiles that I had seen in that vision. Somebody was bringing me grapes. And I looked at my partner at the time. And I was like, Matt, if you were wearing a blue t-shirt, this would have been my vision. And he took off his sweater and he had a blue t-shirt on and I started weeping. And I have goosebumps all It over. is. I mean, I have goosebumps. I haven't told that story for years. It's. I think that we're so powerful when we tap into the subconscious or when we connect to our intuition or whatever you want to call that when you have a vision and it manifests. I I love that. I mean, I love the woo-woo and I love the practical. So it's, it's a balance because I feel like if I lived in that visionary floating world all the time, I'd be very ungrounded. But I do think it's so beautiful to lean into that divine feminine. And I mean, I've run my business for 10 years. That's a very masculine energy. And in the past year, I've hired an intuitive coach because my visions started getting really strong again. And I felt like a weirdo. I was like, what's going on? I can't talk to anybody about this. These visions keep happening over and over. So I started taking these intuition trainings and working on, through courses with other people that had really strong intuitive hits. So if you're listening and you have those, you're normal. <laughs> it's a okay, normal well, thing. I, I, it's a gift. I actually want to lean into this a little bit more because I feel like we've called it out as woo-woo now three times, I think. And Yeah, that's probably my own self-judgment. No, no, no. Yeah. But it's like, I'm not I'm not judging you. I do the same thing. Like with yeah. my friends, I feel like I'm the one that leans quote unquote most woo-woo yeah, out yeah. of everyone. Yeah. But I think that we're doing all of ourselves a disservice to not think that that's actually the superpower and that like, yeah, typically, you know, in history, the people that are the outliers are the ones that are seen as boo-boo, but those are the Mm. ones that are typically the ones, you know, with full clarity and can actually see the matrix, you Mm. know? So I just wanted to call that out that like, yes, we're talking about something that is not what the majority would think of as, you know, what life trajectory looks like, but... I do think that this is tapping into something even larger. And if more people can tap into it and this be the norm, we would live in a very completely different place. If someone listening right now is like, well, I I actually feel like heard and seen that I have like intense intuitive pangs and I don't know how to, you know, what do I do with that? You know, it's like, I feel it while I'm washing dishes or like, I feel it in the middle of the night, I wake up from a dream or something. Like if someone's listening that can feel that also, and they're like, I do, I do have that. I don't know how to like dive deeper in that or what to do with that information. What would you tell them? Oh, that's a beautiful question. I mean, that's where I was a year ago. I would say first off, you're not the only person that feels that way because it can feel super isolating. Mm -hmm. Uh, second off, I would say lean into your meditation practice. Third, I would say journal, like let it out and find a creative outlet. Like I'm not a drawer by any means, but I have a huge chalkboard in my apartment. So I draw out a lot of the visions that I have and it feels like I'm releasing them. And I would say work with, work with somebody on it. I think there's something powerful. This might not land for everyone. I really love working with coaches because I find that having someone lovingly tease these things out of me and hold the spakes and reflect it back to me, just mirror it back to me, really empowers me on that journey. And it's one of the reasons I've started coaching is because I've, you know, been through a lot of therapy, yeah. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of intuitive coaching. I'm taking a lot of meditation trainings. I've taken a lot of, you know, and I'm very lucky that my world is meditation. So that curiosity that came from childhood, I want to work with as many coaches as possible to learn all corners of myself and 
for for COVID, I was working with a psychoanalytical therapist, which helps you analytically dive into the limiting beliefs from childhood and remove those blocks. And then also an intuitive coach, which is the more feminine side of that. So I found it so fascinating to, you know, explore my mind and myself and my spirit both through this masculine energy and feminine energy. So I think, you know, also let the in, the intuitive hit of like, what should I do next? Just go with that. You'll probably meet the person you're meant to work with if you're looking for a coach. Like it'll, it'll flow. The serendipity will flow. Um, just don't feel alone in it because you're not. Absolutely not. Like I can attest to feeling that all the time. And I actually, for the past, I would say like five years now, I have been doing the work in kind of diving deep and doing the therapy, doing just like the questioning and trying to go back to my childlike self and all those things. And I've just seen it unfold more and more. I think I'm just more open and awake. So like I like maybe it's not sitting next to someone on a plane, but like I feel like you're just more receptive and you're like, oh, I see. I see the serendipitous moment versus yeah. just being clouded and not even being able to see the thing that's sitting right next to you on a plane, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the whole thing is like, the the intuitive part is like how we synthesize information, whether or not it's tangible. In hindsight, we understand it, but in that moment, it's really difficult for us to decipher. And I think when we're not looking for something, you know, I wasn't looking to start a business. I was a journalist. I was happy. I was doing my thing. I think that it's being open. It's just being open to receiving. And I know that sounds really easy. Like, yeah, I'm open. Yeah, I'm open. But actually, it's a practice to remain open and it's a practice to remain spacious. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. I have to practice it. I have to journal on it. I have to meditate on it. I work with a coach on it. I, you know, there's things where it is, it comes easier to me, but I'm not perfect. There's still moments where I'm like, oh, that's too good to be true. I'm like, no, Ashley, come back to this. You that actually, proof. yeah, that actually I think brings me back to something that I really wanted to talk to you about. And it's that feeling of deserving and mm. feeling enough to accept it. Because I think that like even just tapping into the fact that like you may not think that you deserve that is probably step one. Oh my gosh. So the whole enoughness thing has been like my my whole journey has been around that. So the the starting the business, I used to be a journalist, went into starting this uh, Mala Collective again through serendipity. And at first we're like, this is so cool. And then it became a thing. And I was like, oh my goodness, who am I to run this? Someone should be doing this, but it's not me. It's I can't be doing this. And it's kind of this pause of like, is somebody else going to start this thing? Like, am I the one that has to do it? And I think when I get asked like the biggest block I had in business was myself. And I don't mean that lightly. I would be up crying every single night thinking they're going to find out I'm a phony. They're going to find out I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just some chick in my 20s answering emails in my underwear at 2 a.m. like eating Thai food. Like, And people are pouring out their heart and their soul. I'm like, they probably think I'm this like shaman in the mountains with like a Wi-Fi connection for a couple of hours. I mean, I don't think anybody actually thought that. But, you know, the way they poured out and they were so vulnerable, I thought, who am I to respond to this vulnerability? What do I know? And and that, I think, is also what led to this curiosity of working with different coaches, taking different trainings. Because I travel a lot, I really wanted to understand mindfulness and meditation in different parts of the world because I don't believe there is one right way to meditate. So the more that I started practicing and living it, the more I could show up and answer these people. But I would say there was a good four years there where it was it was debilitating. I didn't... I didn't want anyone to know I ran Mala. And I think only in this past like year and a half, two years, I've started stepping out a little bit more. 
but there was so much shame. There was so much guilt. There was like, I'm screwing this up so badly. I would feel like in business, I'm probably the first one to screw this one up this way. And then a lot of that healing uh, came through a few different ways. One was I did a meditation and this voice was like, Ashley, get over yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So this voice is like you playing in fear is you playing really small and you're actually being really selfish by doing that because you're robbing so many people of a mindfulness experience. Not that we're the be all end all. They would find it somewhere else. If they're seeking it, they'd find it somewhere else. But how selfish that I just wouldn't show up. And then outside of that, I joined different peer groups. And like I mentioned, I got coaches or I worked with different Mm -hmm. people. And as soon as I worked with peer groups, like business groups, and started sharing vulnerably, I feel X, Y, and Z. They're like, oh yeah, I felt that 20 times last week. Oh my goodness. Okay. Thank God. Because this, it's just the human experience. I just wanted to normalize my fears and normalize my blocks. And it's been a gift to be able to share. So now... I'm a big share, big, big fan of the vulnerability, especially in the business journey. Just like bringing it back to like the deserving part of it. Uh, We're like, we're like 95% female audience here. And I think that like, I mean, I don't want to shit on the patriarchy for just shitting on the patriarchy, but I I do think that the construct that we live in does kind of play into us believing that we are not deserving of feeling that or not being able to accept the serendipitous moment. What's something that like maybe meditation might be too big a step for someone listening that is resistant to it, but what is something that you would advise someone who feels like that? that can be like their first step into being like, no, you know what? I actually do deserve to listen to that gut intuition or, you know what? I do deserve to have that conversation and step into what I deserve. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. I think that deserving enoughness, worthiness, like they're all really intertwined. And I, I wish I just had that confidence and that deserving all the time. And I have to hype myself up always. I'll call my friends to hype me up. You know, we're not always a hundred percent in the deserving zone. Um, a few things I would suggest gratitude journaling. It has changed my life so significantly. And the reason I would tie that to deserving is because when we're writing about gratitude, we go from a place of scarcity to abundance and we go to a place of possibility and opportunity. And we can write about all of the beautiful things that we have versus all the things that we're seeking. So my morning routine has helped a lot with that. Of course, you know, meditation can be definitely overwhelming if you sit for 30 seconds or if you sit for 60 seconds. When I meditate, I always use a mantra, I am. So if you want to meditate on, I am deserving, I'm deserving, I'm deserving. It's proven to start changing your brainwaves once you Even if you don't believe it at first. Even if you don't believe it. And I mean, I don't want to say like you say it a hundred times and you believe it because that's not real. That's not how it works. But once you start integrating it, if you meditate on it, if you repeat it to yourself, if you like put sticky notes around my apartment to remind myself, when you start spiraling, I actually think that's a huge part of the whole process is how do you stop the, the spiral? So it's living it as part of it, but stopping the, the downward pattern interrupters I like is like if I'm sitting on one side of the table and I start to spiral, I get up and move to the other side of the table. Just little things, anything to do a pattern interruption. If you can put your shoes on and go for a walk, if you can get, have some water, do some journaling, whatever, like call a friend, anything to get out of that moment uh, is a really strong pattern interruption. But I really think that the, the meditation, the gratitude journaling, I mean, there's so many approaches, but it's, there's not going to be one silver bullet that's going to do it. It is a practice and it really comes down to how we speak to ourselves. And I think in meditation, you know, 
when I used to think of meditation, I thought I had to sit there for 20 minutes with no thoughts, which is not realistic and not, I would never encourage anyone to look at it that way or frame it that way. Instead, now I frame it as if I'm going to sit for 10 minutes, my mind's going to probably wander 120 times, just maybe, maybe 320 times. Who knows? It's going to, it's going to wander a lot. Every time it wanders, we have a choice to judge ourselves or to say, okay, my mind wandered. I'm coming back to myself now. So let's say it wanders 200 times. That's 200 times you get to practice self-compassion and self-love versus self-judgment. Oh my God, I'm the worst. I shouldn't be doing this. Well, whatever your spiral is, whatever your judgment is, or like, oh, I had that really great comeback. I should have said it. And then you spiral even more. Or, okay, hey, I love you. I'm coming back. Hey, I love you. I'm coming back. And the more we start to train ourselves to speak to ourselves with love and kindness and compassion, that deserving, that worthiness, that enoughness starts to rise. So it is a practice and just doing a little bit every day versus one silver bullet. I, I've never found a silver, silver bullet to solve any of that. This is, first of all, you're speaking my language. I have done a solo episode on gratitude journaling. And every time that I talk about meditation, I talk about the fact that I was super resistant to it yeah. starting. It was really difficult for me. I had to start with guided. And then yeah. eventually there was literally like one day that I had an intuitive feeling to just start doing it without guided and just with myself and my breath. Um, but I am the person that like was having a really hard time even getting to start, right? Mm. So I think that you just described it so beautifully on what it actually is because there's so much resistance to it because I think people are like, well, what's going to happen? Like yeah. kind of like how I feel about ayahuasca, to be honest. Like yeah. what's going to happen? Like am I going to lose control? Is something going to happen in the middle of the meditation? Like mm. what can I expect? And it's like what you can expect really is that you're going to have thoughts and like the yeah. practice is literally coming back to your breath. Yeah. And it's just on a continuous basis. The more that you do it, the more separation between the thoughts I, in my, in my experience. Yeah. Um, but what would you, what would be like the first step for me? It was guided, but like what you, what you're, this is what you do for a living. So like, what do you, what would you say is like the best first way to, for anyone listening to kind of get their foot in the door with meditation? Yeah. And I mean, Hey, I still love guided meditations when I'm feeling really anxious. I always listen to a guided meditation. I also want to dispel that you have to sit in silence for meditation. I really like moving meditations. And I've noticed when it, when spring came in summer, I wanted to go for hour-long walks and just listen to like meditative music or a guided meditation or an audiobook on meditation and then just in silence. So I think that meditation can take so many forms. It doesn't have to look a certain way. So that's like number one. You can like sit down, you can lay down, you can walk, whatever works for you. Um, to, to begin, I would say, you know, building the habit of, of it is probably the hardest part because building a new habit takes time and mm -hmm. it takes practice. So I would say tie it to, tie it to a habit you've already developed. So like hopefully you brush your teeth every morning. So brush your teeth and then sit down and meditate or turn on the coffee pot and sit down and meditate, turn on the tea kettle, sit down and meditate. Second, you don't have to make it 20 minutes. You can make it two minutes. So start really small because I think people get really overwhelmed with this all or nothing mentality that it has to be big and it has to be audacious for it to be worthwhile. No, you can still get benefits from sitting in meditation for three minutes, six minutes, nine minutes, and then increase from there. And then next I would say, again, be kind to yourself because your mind's going to wander. It's going to get uncomfortable. Like, you know, we look to our phones every 35 seconds because we don't want to sit with our thoughts. So it will be uncomfortable for a bit because we keep really busy to avoid that feeling. So when something comes up, I mean, kind of back to your breath, I can say that all day long. It's in theory, it's very easy <laughs> in practice. It's deeply uncomfortable and you, you'll know you're uncomfortable because you'll start like moving your stuff around and like looking at your clock or like wondering what's for lunch or for dinner. And like your mind will try and hook into anything else. 
okay, for three minutes, I'm just going to come back. I'm going to come back and I'm going to come back. And even if when it's deeply, deeply uncomfortable, you know, I've had meditations where the whole time I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this, but I'm not going to get up until my timer goes off. And on that note, having a timer, there's something when you sit down in meditation, time is elongated. It's like when you're holding plank. Yeah, totally. totally <laughs> it just totally. takes, it's like, what? It's been like 45 seconds. Are yeah. you sure? feels like I've been here for an eternity. So setting a timer like creates safety so that you're like, okay, I know that I have five minutes and I can close my eyes and I'll feel safe that the timer is going to pull me out of it. Or that's why we make mala beads. Like malas are traditionally tools used in meditation where you go around 108 times and that signifies full meditation. It's a tactile thing though. So it's like a tactile timer in a way. So having something that helps you to feel safe around time is also really good. I mean, 10 years in, I still use that. So it's not even an intro tip. And I guess realistically, every intro trip intro tip is the same as an experienced meditation tip. It's, it's all the same. It's not like some days. All of a sudden you're, yeah. you'd like the tips yeah. completely change because yeah, you've yeah, been doing yeah. it for so long. It's totally true. You don't like levitate after a year or anything. Yeah. yeah, right? yeah. Like it's, it's yeah. difficult always, but it's beautiful always. Totally. And I think it's like the, the starting of it all. Cause to be honest, like when I started, I think it was more because I was just seeing so many people that I respect doing it and like yeah. just learning about, you know, really successful people's morning routines and that meditation yeah. was a big part of it. I started meditating a while ago. So like that was kind of like what started me to do it. But I think what keeps me here is that I've discovered the why behind it because mm -hmm. I've seen the power that it has had in my life, even if like my foot in the door wasn't necessarily like the most like authentic reason to do it, but it got me here. And I think that like, it's just finding your way to just start and then you'll figure out, you'll see the results and then that why will show up and will keep you to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's, I find it really curious because it's been 10 years since the business started. And 10 years ago, meditation was not this cool thing like it is no, now. Know. And people were like, what are you doing? You're quitting your job because you met a hippie on a plane? I was like, yeah. I mean, mind you, <laughs> I didn't have kids. I didn't have a mortgage. You know, all these things. It makes it a lot easier to make those life changes. And now people are like, oh my gosh, how'd you know it was going to be so cool? I'm like, remember 10 years ago when you told me this was the dumbest idea you'd ever heard of? And I think that years ago, we'd have to explain like, oh, meditation is great for anxiety. It's great for this. And now it's so normalized. It's so beautiful. Of course I have a meditation practice. Of course I do this. Of course I practice. It is, it's so different even in the past two years, actually, even in COVID, the amount of people that reached out saying, you know, I have deep anxiety and it, this thing isn't just for hippies. This thing can help me. And it's actually why we launched a kid's line during COVID. We saw so many parents, you know, at home with their kids, their living room is now the school and the dining room and their office that these kids are now being introduced to mindfulness. And it's so beautiful to see this change where people are coming back to themselves and just connect to themselves, connecting to themselves with something as simple as breath. It's I mean, I'm in awe of it. I think it's so cool. I am obsessed with the fact that you guys are doing this kids program. It's I, so my cute. sister listens to this podcast too, yeah. so she she can attest to this. I've yeah. always said that if there's any sort of impact that I would like to have on this world is to get children to meditate yeah. and to be able to be still and identify when they're feeling something. And I've seen I've like seen that some some for some reason, I guess it's because it's like what I like. My Instagram al algorithm will like show me like videos of kids like yeah. doing their like breath work, yeah. counting, and I'm just like, that is what's actually going to change the world. Like it is. Isn't it the sweetest? No, it's truly the sweetest thing oh. ever, but it's not only sweet. It's like the most powerful thing that can happen to a generation yeah. is giving them the tools to be able to cope because 
that's, I think, what happens. I think that's why there's a lot of shootings. I think that yeah. there's, you know, like, there, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but like, I think at the, at the core is that we don't know how to cope. Yeah. And we also don't know how to feel comfortable in silence and in stillness yeah. and all of these different apps, even though I just referenced Instagram, I think are sedating us to, or, or making it even more difficult already as it is as a, as a human to sit by yourself, to sit by yourself. And in that stillness and silence is where these intuitive moments happen anyway. So it's like, yeah. it's all, I think, stemming from the fact that we just need to get better and better or not need. Cause like you said, it's not like the best word, but I do think that it's the most powerful thing that you can possibly do is getting comfortable yeah. in the silence. And I mean, watching kids do it, it's the same as adults. Like you think kids can't sit still. Adults can't sit still either. No, totally. But when we, when we started it, um, you know, kids have an association to like timeouts and being grounded, like being alone. So we wanted to make it really playful. And so we brought a bunch of kids in to teach meditation without telling them what to do. We're like, every kid had in some form been exposed to mindfulness or meditation through school or through their parents. So every kid that came in to film had a totally different approach to meditation. It was so sweet. Two of them started chanting Om Shanti. Stop. So this beautiful mantra. And this other uh, beautiful little girl and her mom did a, a moving meditation through dance. And the little girl lasted about 15 seconds. And then she looked at the camera and started picking her nose. And I was like... <laughs> Well, that's real. Like, we're not going to cut that because that's exactly totally. what it is. Sometimes I'm sure I that's just what yeah. happens. So, I mean, there's a reality to it that's so beautiful and so real. And the fact that these little kids, like, I just need to find my breath for a moment. Like, oh my gosh, you just broke my heart into a million little happy pieces. Like, it, wow. it's so beautiful. So, it is, it is so inspiring. And it's so cool to hear them talk about it at school. And my friend's kids were in it. And they actually did a presentation where they taught kids in their class how to meditate. And because now they have this YouTube video and they're all famous for their meditation. Stop. So, it is, it's just sweet to see this ripple effect of, um, of the words used around it and the normalization of it and just I think just what you're so doing cool. and I'm really not trying to just like like to toot your horn I really do think that what you're doing with that is the most powerful thing any person and any business can do to Thank be honest you. Um, I do. I'm really curious to hear about your trajectory because you were in journalism before you got into this and it's been 10 years of Mala. So I, I, I'm curious to know what first drew you to journalism and like what got you on that plane to Bali to yeah. start with, like what was going on in your life? I'm, I, I, this podcast is like talking about these transitions in life yeah, and like yeah. coming home to yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm curious like how that whole thing played out. When we were talking about what my qualities were as a child, I used curious, but really, I was just really nosy. Okay. <laughs> and journalism was a fantastic fit for that because you get paid to be nosy. Totally. Um, and I mean, I, I've always loved writing and I liked asking questions, curiosity, nosiness, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But I got into journalism and I, you know, fast forward, I started covering murder trials. Uh, but I did, I did radio, TV and print and I was not good on radio, nor was I good on TV. I was You're terrible. killing it on radio right now. Thank you. <laughs> I, I had no idea what I was doing on radio and I mean, that was not my forte and I'm grateful that that time existed and I'm glad that it's done. There'd be days where I'd go into the studio and I'd be wearing like sweatpants and flip flops and that's the day someone gets murdered and I have to go on TV. I'm like wearing a Wonder Woman t-shirt. I'm like, great, really professional, Ashley. This is wonderful. Or sorry, they didn't get murdered. They, something would happen. Uh, obviously I wouldn't make it about me if there was something that bad. <laughs> um, but I, and I did end up covering murder trials later, which was quite profound and very, very overwhelming because I was technically an entertainment editor and to go into murder trials is so heavy because it is such a, 
polarizing experience, a polarizing thing to witness of the human experience. And all of it was so overwhelming. You know, ever since then, I've never watched a murder show on Netflix or a podcast about it. It's just too much. I've lived it. I'm like, I don't need to live that again. And the the short version here is it was a story about a young girl. I became friends with the mom and I wrote a really, I mean, I don't mean to toot my own horn here, but I wrote a beautiful story about this little girl's life honoring her. And it won a national award. And the mom said to me, I think that this is the most closure that I'll ever get. Thank you so much for this gift. And that to me was okay, I think karmically I'm done here. There was something so, so touching and so deep about that whole experience, that connection to this little girl's mom that I thought, I think I'm done in journalism now. And I also, you know, my partner at the time, we've kind of reached our peaks in our careers. I was quite young and winning a national award. I was like, not that I couldn't learn more. This is not about ego. Of course I could have learned more, but there was something... I can't even, I can't even explain it. It was just such a huge experience to happen so young that I just felt I'm ready to move on and learn something new now. So my partner and I end up traveling a lot of soul searching. You end up in Bali and we ended up in Bali, but we went through Europe. We were going to immigrate to New Zealand. New Zealand was exactly like British Columbia where I'm from, just like Vancouver. Ended up in Bali, fell in love with these mala beads, kept going back and buying them. At this point, we did not know anything about meditation. I think people assume that I started the business because I was a meditator, when actually I was not. I was really curious about it. And I thought, this is so cool. You can like use these beads to meditate and the gemstones mean things. Whoa, that is so cool. So my partner and I bought a whole bunch. We were flying from Bali to Thailand. This lady came up to us, as I mentioned, and said, oh, your aura is so beautiful. Can I sit and talk to you? We're like, oh, yeah, cool, of course. Like That's a very normal thing to hear in Bali. And she ends up being the woman that made the beads that we had bought. So that's the serendipitous part. Her guru told her to get the beads to the West because they embody peace. And the more the world wears them, the more the world will be at peace. And we're like, oh, cool. We love peace. And we're from the West. We'll totally help you. Like that's how naive we were. Matt was reading Screw It, Let's Do It by Richard Branson. She put in her email. We kept backpacking, got home a few months later. We're like, oh, the title of this book, book is quite apt. We should email this lady. And that's how it started in his parents' basement suite. And then as I became more curious about meditation, you know, I was thinking, receiving these emails from people, wow, this is changing my life. This is helping me through an abusive marriage. It's helping me through a sex change. It's helped me through, uh, you know, my kids going to university and I'm empty nesting, my own transitions. And I thought, what are other beautiful things that we can make that inspire practice? Because you don't need malas to meditate. You just need your breath. But if we can make this thing that's touching so many people, what else can we create? So then we expanded into meditation cushions, into crystals, guided meditations. We've made blankets. Like we've made so much different stuff, which I adore. And I love, I love, love, love creating the physical products. I think it's um, to have things around your home that are really mindful and inspiring. To me, I'm I'm really big on aesthetic and my home is this little haven of crystals and incense and cushions. And when I wake up in the morning, I know exactly where I'm going to go sit down it's one less block to my meditation practice. And I think you don't have to have a meditation space in your home to meditate. You can meditate on your couch. You can pull out a cushion and do it. But when you have a space in your home that is your sacred, special, safe place that you can go for five minutes, 10 minutes, it becomes this beautiful ritual that's really um, to honor yourself. And it just, I, I think this is a beautiful gift to yourself. So for me, that that was the intention in, in expanding into how we've expanded. And as I mentioned, a lot of that journey was 
full of self-doubt and fears. And I think only in the past couple of years, I've started to shift out of that a bit more and leaning more into my intuition and leaning more into the practice of the why. And as I'm doing that, I've now leaned into coaching people through that as well, through their purpose, through their intuition, through starting and scaling businesses. Because I mean, I've screwed up a lot. <laughs> it's not like it's this glorious 10 year <laughs> journey of only uphill. No, there's a lot of crying. There's a lot of fears. There's a lot of blocks. There's a lot of things I did wrong. You know, I've burnt a lot of bridges through learning instead of asking for help. And I mean, I'm not going to, that's a bad way to phrase it, by learning without asking for help because yeah. I thought asking for help was a weakness. And now I realize asking for help is actually an incredible gift. I don't need to know everything. I don't need to do it alone. So there's been some really, really low lows. And I I'm, I love talking about those low lows because I want to normalize that those low lows are normal. When you meet somebody on the street, like everything's great. I'm like, what? Am I doing something wrong? Because everything yeah. is not great. So I think that it's it's been a, a fantastic journey. And I never, ever, ever in my life could have made a vision board with this version of my life in it because I didn't even know that. Like, I didn't know any entrepreneurs. Yeah, that I definitely was wasn't writing. like it yeah. definitely wasn't like the thing or the word yeah. of the time. Like I feel like now it's yeah. like the cool thing to be. So I've been doing it for some years. Like I said, yeah, started yeah. guided, kind of have transitioned to doing it myself. And I feel like stagnant isn't maybe the right word, but like kind of, that's the best yeah, yeah. word that I can come up with. Yeah. Kind of stagnant with it. Like I still, I'm, I'm showing up every day. I still have my moments of feeling, but there's something in me that's telling me that there is a deeper and more mm. approach to, to it. And I don't know, but I feel like I, I, I'm called to ask you what's. Oh, I love that. I think that's up. beautiful. Do you work with any uh, teachers or coaches in meditation? Um, I do not. I'm a really huge fan of going to as many meditation retreats or meditation classes or weekend teachings as possible. I think that having different approaches and different perspectives and different voices is such a gift and it can shake up the approach that you're taking. And so if you're approaching, like, let's say from this one angle each time, let's say you take a few different, you don't have to take a meditation training, but maybe you go to a day long retreat or go up to the cat skills and go to a retreat center for a night. You can learn different languages around how people frame mindfulness meditation. And I think that that always shakes up my practice in the best possible way. So yeah, I'm feeling like I need a shake up there. It's beautiful. And I mean, there's online things now as well because of COVID, yeah. but I'm from Vancouver and during COVID I took weekend retreats. Like when, when it was reopening, I think every weekend last summer. So I was on a ferry to a different Island to a different meditation retreat every single weekend. Do they all resonate with me? Absolutely not. But for me, it was, I want to get really uncomfortable so I can find a different approach to my practice. Because yeah, if you're sitting with yourself every day, yeah, of course it can get stagnant. Yeah. But listening to guided meditations, listening to sound bath meditations, um, there's so many, I think adding different voices and approaches will, will shake it up. So I have to ask this question, which I ask all of my guests. Yes. Uh, what would you say is your current active ingredient? What is the thing that you feel is what you found to be what lights you up really truly at the core of it all. Um, and how do you cultivate that on a daily basis? Mm. What lights me up? I mean, honestly, we've been talking about serendipity. I feel like that to me is, I don't know. There's just, it's like a, 
a running theme through my life where I just, I just know now that everything's going to work out the way it's meant to because something bigger is happening. And how I cultivate that is I cry a lot. <laughs> When things aren't working out, I'm like, no, it's okay. The synchronicity and serendipity will swoop in. It's fine. Um, I'm, I love Pima Chodron. Do you ever listen to Pima Chodron? Mm -hmm. Okay. I would actually recommend, I'm a huge fan of audiobooks. I'm going for really long walks in the morning. So when I'm back in New York, every morning I go along West Side Highway and listen to a, a meditation book. So there's Pima Chodron is a Tibetan monk and she talks about meditation in a really simple, beautiful form. But she has a beautiful book called When Things Fall Apart. And she talks about when things become really uncomfortable, when they become really difficult. We want to we wanna distract ourselves. We want to drink, we want to smoke, we want to whatever, eat, whatever it is, whatever we use as this tool. But there's practice in just staying in the moment and trusting it's going to be okay. So that whole trusting is how I cultivate it is through meditation, through movement, through journaling through admitting, oh my God, I don't think it's going to be okay. And then realizing, oh no, wait, I've gotten through every hard thing up to this point. I can get through this too. And trusting something bigger is meant to happen. There is a plan. And I mean, I say that with humility. I don't trust that every time. I have to really come back to trust the serendipity, trust the synchronicity, trust that what's happening for a reason. And that, you know, like when you go through a breakup and you're like, oh yeah, that's why that happened. Or when something happens at work and you didn't get the promotion because something bigger was happening, but you could never have known. So there's this hindsight we know, but I'm trying to trust in this moment in two years from now, I'll know why this happened. So it, it's a huge practice of trust. It's a huge practice of letting go. It's a huge practice of surrendering. And I mean, coming from somebody that is naturally very type A, very wanting to be in control, which is why I don't like those ayahuasca ceremonies, very masculine. I've worked so hard. <laughs> this is such a masculine thing. I've worked so hard to be feminine. <laughs> I have invested energy in, I would like to be more feminine. I, I can't believe I just said I worked so hard to be feminine. There's there's this, it takes practice to like lean into that softness. You know, it takes practice to lean into the trust. And that's where I am right now. I'm trying to balance them. So that serendipity, synchronicity, I think is a very feminine thing, but I love it so much. Amazing. And then what would you tell someone who's listening who may be in those like transition periods in life or they feel a bigger calling and they, they don't know, A, maybe how to listen to it, or if they have listened to it, what that next step is for them? Uh, what would you tell them right now? That is such a good question. So I, what I think is most people spend so much time searching for their purpose. So that's like part one. It's like you walk up to the base of the mountain and you're like, the mountain is like your purpose. You're walking up, you're walking, but it's a really long journey to get there. And I remember being in a meditation training, talking about this. And at this point, this was like a year and a half ago, I was having really, really deep visions. I've always known every shaman, every oracle, every astrologist, every psychic I've talked to has always told me my life path the exact same way, which is terrifying because I thought, I, I don't want to do that. That's really scary. And I, I don't want that to be my purpose. I don't want to. So I resisted it. And then my intuition started getting louder and louder and louder where I finally broke down about a year and a half ago. I'm like, I know my purpose now and I can't ignore it. So when, when you're having those intuitive hits, I always think the more that you ignore them, the louder they get. Like those messages, they want to come through. They want to be received. They want to be heard. So we were in this training and the guy says, you know, on the path to purpose, he's talking about it. I'm like, but what happens when you find your purpose and you don't want to do it? <laughs> because the doing it is so scary. And I'm like, why am I so scared? Because 
I only ever hear about the searching of the purpose and I want to uncover it and find my purpose. Yeah. Okay, cool. I've got it now. And I don't want to do it. And I'm really scared and I feel really alone because I've never heard about this part of the journey. I don't want to go over the mountain by myself. And so I've worked with coaches on this because, you know, I, I can't do it alone. And the feedback that I got was, when we step into purpose, it is us stepping into a higher version of ourselves and we need to shed that old version of ourselves. It's really, really scary to shed those versions of ourselves because we've built up this protective layer. Every layer of ourselves and every experience has become something that's gotten us to that next experience. Like the friends that we have, the places that we eat, the place that we live, we have all these shells around us to keep us safe. And when we break out of those shells, we're exposed and we're vulnerable and we're really raw. And maybe we won't be accepted. Maybe our friends are going to laugh at us. Maybe we're going to, whatever, maybe we're going to fail. Maybe whatever, whatever fears come up. But stepping into that purpose is like just this really naked experience. And I presented to two of my business groups weeping. I said, I don't know why I'm so scared. I'm scared that you're all going to judge me. I'm scared people aren't going to love me. I'm scared people are going to make fun of me. I'm scared that I'm going to fail. I'm scared they're going to lose all of the money. I'm, fa- I'm scared I'm going to let my team down. I'm scared I'm going to let my business down. But I know I have to do it and I feel it in my body. I feel sick to my stomach because I'm not doing it. So all of these feelings manifested in my body and it was so lonely. So anybody going through any of those experiences, the searching of the purpose, the leveling up, it is a, this cracking open of your soul and your spirit connecting to something bigger. And I mean, it is uncomfortable and it is lonely and it can be scary, but it is so beautiful. It is so beautiful and it is so aligning. And it's just that feeling when it clicks, it's just calm and it's love. Oh my, it's like making me emotional. I'm like literally emotional, like yeah, watching you talk about it. It is beautiful. It is beautiful and it's so scary, but it's so worth it. So when you had this, I, I have to ask now, like, what was that purpose a year ago that you were like, I'm scared of doing this? Oh my this? God, it's been like eight years that I've been told this. That's how long I avoided it. Wow. <laughs> my shaman years ago, I was like, mm, I don't want to do that. So what is it? <laughs> um, it is that I am meant, to, well, there's a lot of it. I'll just give some high level stuff. Um, part of it is coaching. And I'm like, I don't want to coach people. Who am I to coach? Writing a book. I've started writing my book um, is to speak and to lead and to teach And I mean, I think a lot of that deserving was, I liked running my business from behind my laptop. I didn't want anyone to know who I was. And that, that is like, there was a safety in not being known. This is not about me. This is about something so much bigger. I don't want people to know who I am. But you're a powerful vehicle. Well, I mean, I I love that. And also the ego is like, you just want to be famous. I'm like, no, I'm not going to tell anybody who I am. So like, I just pushed it down like a beach ball underwater and I just kept popping back up. And a few of my friends actually called me like, you know, Ashley, you're the only person I've ever met that takes meditation trainings all year around the world. Are you going to share that with people? Why aren't you telling people about it? I was like, I just don't want it to look like I want attention for, or I don't want to look a certain way. They're like, then do it authentically. I'm like, mm, I don't want to. So I just avoided, 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 avoided. And so, I mean, a big part of that purpose is scaling a business, which I mean, I'm in New York right now to raise money and do that. And I am terrified. Like, I mean... I want to be clear here. My leveling up is just as scary as everybody else's leveling up. And I've had 10 years of learning tools around it. Like I, it is human and it is vulnerable and it is, it is scary. So this, for me, this raise, okay, this is stepping up into that Oracle on the Upper West Side. It was like the matrix walking in and sitting at her kitchen table. 
you're meant to do this, this, and this with your business. I'm like, I don't think I want to because I don't know how. And so I was presenting to my business group. I'm like, I don't want to raise. Like, are you scared of being vulnerable? I was like, no, I cry a lot in front of people. <laughs> that I'm scared because I don't know how. And what I always think is really interesting is we don't need to know the how. This is what I tell people. I'm coaching people. It's so hard to take your own feedback. Mm-hmm. We just need to know our why, just our why, and have a vision of the higher purpose. All of the how is going to fall into place. So I just needed to, you know, take my own medicine on that one. And I'm here and I'm trusting and I'm leaning in and I'm terrified and I'm writing a book outline. And now only maybe six months ago, I've started coaching. And that for me was a cracking open of like, who am I to coach? Who am I to do this? What if people tell me I'm the worst coach? What if people blame me for that? What if people make fun of me? What if people went to high school with like, you could never do that. Oh my gosh, I've received the kindest messages, the most beautiful, loving messages. I've received zero negativity. I've been able to work with surprisingly a lot of men in their forties and fifties. Cause I don't think a lot of men has have a safe place to talk about purpose and values and self-connection. I'm helping women start and scale their businesses. I'm helping women and men figure out what they find their purpose, how to find their purpose and bring different mindfulness activities and rituals into their day. I'm helping one woman connect to her divine feminine, her intuition. And these things to me, oh, I can't believe I waited so long. I'm a little bit embarrassed, actually. I'm actually very embarrassed that I waited that many years to align with something that I've known for years I was meant to do or called to do. And I've seen visions of it. I've seen visions of myself coaching. I've seen visions of me on stage. I love public speaking. Like, give me a microphone. I'll talk all day. I've had visions of me doing TED Talks. I've had like all these things. And when you don't do them, you can just feel it in your body that you're out of alignment. So there's this beautiful clicking in that I'm feeling right now at the same time as fear. But I notice the more I talk about the fear, the more it dispels it. So actually that whole share around am I scared of being vulnerable with the rays? I'm actually going to record my experience with it and share it with everybody because that fear of, I don't know how, comes back to, I don't think I've seen someone do it before. And I think it's a very feminine trait to feel deserving because we know somebody else can do it. Well, if that person can do it, then I can do it. But I don't know anybody that's done this. So if I can share my experience, the low lows and the highs and the fears and the wins, maybe it'll empower somebody else to feel, well, if she can do it, so can I. So I'm leaning into this journey, not only (laughs) with fear, but with a lot of, I'm going to share it because I want other people to feel it. And I mean, there's going to be probably a lot of ugly crying in that sharing, but it's real. And I mean... I'm not trying to pretend to be perfect on that journey. That was the world's longest answer, and I this hope it was, was okay. This was literally the, exactly what I and I'm sure my listeners needed to hear. Thank you. This was just so much. I really appreciate you opening up for things that you haven't yeah. talked about before. Of course. Thank you And I am just blown away. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Where thank can you. everyone find you? Are you taking on clients right now for your coaching? I am. I am. You can reach out to me on Instagram. It's Ashley underscore underscore Ray, W-R-A-Y. We're at Mala Collective. We're a small team. I mean, if anybody has questions about meditation or mindfulness, reach out. They also have free guided meditations we have on their free website. free guided meditations. We do a monthly meditation. If anybody wants to attend, send me a message. I'll send you a free ticket. Uh, we have them the last Thursday of every month. And I love holding space for people and they're very gentle. It's just meant to get you into meditation. So reach out, please. I love talking to people. I'm, I'm here if anybody wants to chat. You're incredible. You're invited back literally anytime. Thank you, Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for listening. It would mean the world to us if you could rate and review us. 
And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.